Hey everybody, it's Boots with something about farming. Today I got Power Plant with me, and uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, he's got lots of things going up on him, his neck of the woods, uh, cover crops, cattle, and hogs, and all kinds of stuff. So, how you doing, Power Plant? Man, Boots, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I was just sitting up here, just walked in not too long ago, and uh, kind of recovering from a long couple of weeks, as you guys well know, means I haven't been very present. I've been missing you all, though, that's for sure. Yeah, you ain't been on the group chat very much here lately. Uh, I, I know you all gotten a lot of rain up there, haven't you? Yeah, man, I tell you what, our national or our yearly average is about 40 to 42 inches. And so far this year after today, we've hit like 52 or 53 inches. It's just a flood. I mean, a mess. <laughs> man, that's so different from here. I wish we had... 30 inches average it'd be nice <laughs> man that yeah. ain't no kidding i feel for you guys you know i wish we could find somewhere in the middle some middle game for all of us and just kind of spread the wealth but it'd be unfortunately, nice unfortunately we don't uh, work like that we've been so dry oh it's awful but uh yeah that's good though i'm glad someone's getting it i, don't, I know y'all probably had enough of it but <laughs> Yeah, we're luckily, you know, through through some of our management tactics, our soil's been able to infiltrate it, infiltrate it quite a little bit and and not let too much run off. So we're pretty proud yeah. about that and happy to tell, happy for tell it me to more come. about how you're tell me more about how you're doing that and how it's working out for you. What you're doing? So kind of how we're going is uh, what I do is I plant a lot of cover crops. You know, whether it be into crop ground or into uh, pasture itself. Um, I'm usually with grasses, whether it be cool season uh, legumes and grasses or warm season legumes and grasses. I always mix it up between my fields just to keep the pests on edge so that they don't get into a kind of a rotation of what I'm doing. That way they don't suspect it along with always, you know, mixing up species and keep, keeping live roots in the soil to really create aggregation with your ground. Uh, with your soil, okay. I should say. Uh, you know, one thing One thing really cool about it is I'm able to, uh, I'm definitely able to implement cattle into what I do, and the animal trampling factor, it helps out so tremendously whenever it comes to building organic matter. Might I add, I'm not an organic farmer, but since I've started these practices, of using plants instead of synthetic fertilizers, my farming operation has become a lot more profitable, which I'm super, super excited about because I know there's a lot more to come from it. See, I'm, I'm really interested in all this. We we have never done any no-till or cover crops yet on our farms, and and seeing our crops burn up every summer really gets me interested in trying something different. So and what you've explained to us through that group chat, it really has me interested in it. Uh, I've been reading on a little bit about stuff. Um, they say the soil temperature stays so much cooler underneath those cover crops. And, uh, you know, instead of just letting it get baked, you know. Right. And, uh, and how do you – tell me how – start with how you're uh, letting your cattle, what you're doing with them on the cover crops. So what I'm doing is I'm pretty intensively grazing. You know, some people call it mob grazing. Others call it just rotational grazing. And I try to hit somewhere in between. You okay. know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take off. It depends on time of the year, though. Like, right now, I'm only trying to take off the top third of the plant. Right. But come winter, come winter, I can take up to 50% of the plant and be okay. Right. I can be okay. So, what I'm doing is I'm bunching my cattle up and trying to get more pounds per acre. And by, I mean, more pounds per acre, I'm trying to make, trying to move cattle, uh, trying to move cattle across the hot wire to a little strip to not where they're shoulder to shoulder, but to where they don't have very much room to where they're trampling just as much as they're eating and really getting that dead residue down on the ground. Because really you said earlier and it matches up so perfectly with what I'm about to say, the dead residue is what creates an armor on your right. soil. So that armor blocks the sun from getting to it. That's how you can keep your soil 80 degrees as opposed to a hundred degrees, whether it be in a bare crop field, that's not bare because of your dead residue laying on the ground or a pasture that also has, you know, life 12 to 15, well, where I'm from, 12 to 15 inches above the ground, 
to shade the ground so it keeps it cooler so that it stays in production because for every like 10 degrees it gets above 80 degrees you know your soil drops 30 percent in productivity don't mark me on them numbers but they it drops so much so significantly and so fast that we don't know what we're doing right all of a sudden all of a sudden our soil's not working for us and whenever our soil's not working for us we're not making money so it's all about having it's all about having a happy medium of how to get that on the ground and how to create an armor and all that good stuff so i'm rotating cattle it kind of depends on how much how much they trample in a day and how much biomass is above the ground and you're having to move hot fences around daily or every three days or so is that how you're doing it yeah i'm actually moving so right now i've got two farms in this program right now it's not really a program it's just how my farm operates my my ranch so to say operates yep i've got two farms incorporated in i got a few more that i want to get there but we're just not to that point yet you know i've got the cover crop going on them i've got all this stuff working as best it can for me but i'm still in that transitioning factor and it's been a long transition you know every bit of three to four years and it's a long learning process, but it's, I've not regretted it one bit because it's been so fun to actually get to learn again about the biology underneath the soil as well as what we're doing on top of it with the animal integration on it. Yeah. And that's very interesting that you're, you're uh, interpolating those animals too, because uh, I watched a video on YouTube and I shared it with the group a while back about a desertification Um and Alan Savory has a, a, a video, a really good informative video on YouTube. Um, type in Alan Savory uh, desertification. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, it'll top, pop up on TED Talks, and everybody should listen to that. But I'm interested on the, you know, how those animals when they tromp that that ground. You know, it's it's that in, that uh, video that I watched on him. It, it didn't make any sense at first, and then it, it just works. I don't know how it works, but it works. And, and it makes more sense to me looking into this, too. Every time you plow, you're releasing carbon out of the ground, correct? Correct. So, and see, my whole life, you know, we've always plowed, and I didn't really know much about soil and, you know, what was going on underneath the ground. I just always have plowed, and we've always done it the, the conventional way. And, and the more I read about it, the more it makes sense to trying to never disturb the soil. But, uh, like I say, I haven't tried any of your practices yet, but I'm interested in them. Tell me what time of year what time of year do you plant cover crops in your pastures? So that's kind of a that's definitely a good good question. You know, it's this year's definitely different with as much rain as we get. Right, I mean, all the rain was pretty spring. crazy. But uh, so I'm usually trying to plant, you know, my warm seasons there in uh, you know early May maybe mid to late may i'm trying to get them warm seasons in the ground at that point in time in order to grow through july maybe mid august honestly might even be late august by the time i get cattle into them because you want that you want them to be not mature but you want to you want there to be a lot of biomass above the ground you know and we've got sedan we've got sedan we've got sudex we got uh, triticale we've got all this other stuff that whether it be in a warm season or a cool season mix that we are planting and we want as much biomass above the ground because that means a we can graze more put more pounds to our cows or to our sheep or whichever we're running across it yep. because there's just that much more and b that's all the more that goes back into the ground feeding that that soil bacteria and those microbes are really you know i heard a guy say one time he said every time you put that dead residue on the ground and no tilter it you're just putting money in your pocket sure how in the world is that the, putting money in your pocket you're building all you're the micronutrients up and the organic matter and all that good stuff uh, right it's feeding them worms it's feeding them bacteria bacteria the pest well what people call pests you know, it's feeding all that stuff, and it in returns makes you black dirt that holds that holds moisture. Feeding the good pests, you know, you need worms and stuff. And if you go out in this till, you know, till ground, it's kind of hard to find a worm now. <laughs> right, it's, it's kinda... been it's been tilled so long, and 
And, you know, we all my neighbors till. I don't knock anybody for doing it. That's their that's their operation. That's how they bleed. That's okay. I'm perfectly fine with that. See, the, uh, I think the biggest issue, obviously, is weed pressure. Uh, you know, we're all – there's so many resistant weeds. and uh, But the more I look into it, the more it's worth trying. Because if you get enough cover, you know, that's going to choke out the weeds too. But does the cover crops not choke out your grass in your pastures? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. We, uh, I try to plant whenever it comes to it comes to my pastures. What I'm trying to do is sow grasses and legumes into them, as opposed to whenever I sow a cover crop, right. you know, an actual cover crop into a crop field. I'm sowing more like a hairy vetch, a turnip, a uh, radish, a pea, a corn. You know, all these different things. Whereas whenever I'm putting it into a pasture, I'm using more grasses such as, you know, barnyard grass, orchard grass. I try to use some eastern gamma grass, some native, uh, some native, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I about said prairie where it's not prairie. One thing I do use, though, and I'm surprised it worked, was sunflowers. Sunflowers yep. work. They really do in our part of the world, which is surprising. They might not be, get big and blossom huge or anything like they do out in western kansas but you, they do work for grazing do you use any sun hemp i didn't know if you heard if you said that yet or not yeah we do use sun hemp up here uh, i had not said that so I, thank you for calling out on my attention for sure i was just i was just curious because i'd read a little about it and they say sun hemp is a really good in the cover crop mix and uh, as well as even alfalfa and stuff so right uh, i don't use alfalfa or i haven't yet because I just I haven't bought it, I guess I should say. But yeah. what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to with each season that comes, I'm trying to use seven grasses or seven legumes or six grasses and six legumes. And there's a lot of people out there that think, you know, you can use three or four species and be okay. Whereas the more the better, you know, the different root structures, the different depth that the root goes. And the different species out there that's battling for the nutrients, as well as, um, as well as helping the other nutrients, or not helping the other nutrients, but helping the other plants as transferring nutrients to them, yeah. because they might be more dominant in a nutrient as opposed to something else. You know, so I'm always trying to mix it up and always trying to get a lot in there. That way, that we just have more diversity in what we're doing. And okay. what we're shooting for. It and you know, you sense. said you said earlier about the uh the sun hemp, did a little bit of reading on that. Harry Vetch is another really good one. You know, Harry I've heard Vetch a lot about that, yeah. Has I can't remember if it's seventeen or eighteen percent protein, but here's the kicker. Normally whenever you get high protein like that, you get very low fiber. You know, but that hairy vetch is seventy to eighty percent as well dry matter. So it's going to kind of keep your your patties a little bit more with a little bit more structure as being as opposed to just being runny. Right. And that's one thing that's very that's very important in what we're doing is keeping structure in them patties and keeping keeping uh, fiber in their diets because, you know, we can get so hot of grasses and rations that they what cattle really need in order to actually gain is fiber. That way, it's just not all run through them, right? And I was—I wish I had this in front of me. But they—I've read that for like every—I don't know, maybe been like half an inch of or, or do they do it by inches? Half an inch or an inch Percent. of organic matter, organic matter that you build in the soil, it it uh, helps it take in like seventy percent more water or something like that. So, I don't know. I need to look that up. So what it is is for every percent of organic matter that you have, yeah, that's soil, what it if is. you were to that's take it, it and send it off, every percent of organic matter that you have, your ground can hold seventeen thousand to twenty-seven thousand gallons of water. That's that's what I read today. That's what I had it way wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, every percent good. of organic matter in your soil, like on a soil test, right? Is that correct? Like you do your soil test, it'll tell you that, right? And it and it can hold up to like 17,000 plus gallons of extra water in that in that one percent of organic matter right on an acre on an acre yeah Yeah, per acre 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, see, every time you know, every time it's raining or every time you plow, I mean, you're releasing carbon and and it's uh the erosion is you know think about how much erosion you stop. Um, you know, we do dozer work a lot, and uh, it's it's every year someone's calling, you know, needing a washout fixed, and eventually, you know, you're losing a lot of soil carrying down those terrace channels and those waterways and those it's amazing how much dirt water carries i mean it's amazing uh we'll build new ponds and sometimes within five six years they're silted up i mean it's crazy (laughs) yeah Uh, it's not good i mean if you if you really dig into it and really think about it it's not good that you're losing that much topsoil right and that's why we need the biology underneath and the carbon on top you know a plant is 80% carbon. It's 5 to 7% nitrogen, 2 to 3% phosphorus, 2 to 3% potassium or DAP. You know, you got all these other other nutrients that we're using synthetic fertilizers for. But what's the majority? Why are we going and spending my look on it was what really kind of changed my mind and gave me a new perspective is, you know, if a plant is that little of a percent in that nutrient, why are we spending all this money? You know, what, what's that gaining us? And basically what I came down to was it was a Band-Aid. And I don't say this to make anybody mad or anything. This is just my way of looking well, at it's it. It's just kind of the hard truth. <laughs> right. It was just a Band-Aid to cover up what we've done. Because, in all honesty, studies show that whenever you put on synthetic fertilizers, only about 60 to 70% is actually getting into your soil and the rest is washing off. Yep. Or going into the air. You know, I know they've got agritane. They've got all these other chemicals that, or I guess I should say liquids that can go on top of dry dry fertilizer and be, you know, save some of that. But in all honesty, we're still losing it. So my thought of it was what is in the ground? You know, why is this, what's the importance of a plant that's 80% carbon? Why is that 80%? Why is that so big? That's got to be important. You know, and all of a sudden it just kind of clicked one day, you know, I started reading about microbes. I started reading about the bacteria in the store, the soil, all this uh-huh. other stuff. And we, the bad thing is, or the actually cool thing is that I think it's cool is that there's so much down there that we haven't even discovered yet. You know, there's so much bacteria down there. We haven't even discovered yet, but every bit of that that's down there, if we feed it, that builds organic matter, which is your black dirt mm-hmm. and i always get jealous every time i go up north you know we went to uh, south dakota this summer and we went to the ag phd field days up there and man their soil is so black <laughs> it's so different than here in this red dirt country and uh i always said and i may be completely wrong and laugh at this but i've always said we lost all our topsoil probably in the dirty 30s you know during the dust bowl days and all of it landed up there on, on you guys up north because <laughs> that's where it ended up. But I don't know. I mean, that's probably totally wrong. But um, hey, I ain't going to judge you because I don't know. It might be a good theory, honestly. I, w- I sure wish we could go back in time and start about 1925 and put everything to grass for about 10 years. That would have really saved us. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so what? Uh, do you know much about nitrogen fixation? Honestly, I really don't. You know, I'm still pretty new into this. I'm still learning yeah. terms and such, but no, I really don't. I, You're gonna have I've to. Read I might, and I might just not know the term. Right. Fill me in on a little bit, and if not, educate me. I'm more than happy to learn about it. Says it says it's supposed to be the chemical process by which atm- atmospheric nitrogen is assimilated into organic compounds, especially by certain microorganisms as part of the nitrogen cycle. But I didn't know if, if you had read much about that. I don't – it's kind of crazy that we don't know, but, I mean, we're here to learn. And uh, That'd I'm, be – you'd be capturing it with your legumes. Right. That's what, I was, that's what I thought it might be, is your legumes yeah. taking in carbon mm-hmm. dioxide, putting nitrogen into the ground, if I'm – Right, and that's the, that's the really cool thing about, you know, one thing I really like is you can walk out and you can grab any legume and you can pull it up. No matter the root structure that it has, you can pull it up. Uh-huh. And at the bottom, well, I guess I should say at the bottom of the plant and at the top of the root structure, there is white balls, little white balls there. And that's actually nitrogen. You know, that's nitrogen that is taken in from the air. 
I'm you know, looking there's at nitrogen sitting on top of uh, every acre of ground that we have. You know, there's a, I'm a firm believer that everything was put here for a reason, you know, so we sure. might as well utilize it as best we can, especially if it makes our operations more profitable in order to pay them off faster, give our families better livings uh, and all this other good stuff, you know, just the things that are becoming oh so hard to find in agriculture anymore, unfortunately. But uh, I think they're pretty easy, which it's going to take you and I's generation to make the change back to it. But I think it'd be a good change and a pretty easy change to make once we all understood really what was going on. And that's my big question that I always had to tilling. Uh, like I said, well, I don't think I actually said it, but my family, you know, we got a couple hundred acres crops. That's about as much as we got, you know. Yeah. And we used to till, and all my neighbors tilled. You know, they were good farmers. But my question was, you know, everybody always said we got to get the dirt dried out. We got to get the dirt just right to plant. I said, and my question was, every time July rolls around, we're hoping that there's water. You know, why right. are we drying out this dirt? Right. Put a seed in whenever we're hoping that there's water come two months down the road or four Six months weeks. down the road. You know, <laughs> yeah, so that was my question to it. But yeah, I like that you bring up that nitrogen fixation because honestly, there's plants. That's the really cool thing about rotation grazing or mob grazing or however you want to say it. Every time a cow takes a bite of something and rips it off, or every time a hay mower goes across and chops it off. Whatever it might be, if a plant is hurt, if it's a grass, it's signaling for nitrogen. If it's a legume, it's signaling for phosphorus. I mean, there's a natural natural nitrogen-phosphorus transfer that goes on, or whatever chemical, or not chemical, but whatever nutrient it might be that it needs, it sends right. off signals. And as long as them roots are intertwined and hooked up, it can get, you know, what one thing is lacking, another thing can get to it. And that's the really cool thing that goes on. And the more living roots you have in in your ground, the more biomass you have above your, above your ground, the faster that that plant can get healed and back to growing and what we like to call regrowth. You know, you see, you see the cool, the, the thing that I, I really look about weeds. You mentioned earlier about, you know, really combating them weeds off is that weeds come on after natural disasters. You know, what would a natural disaster be to the soil? A tornado, a hurricane, anything that rips across it, the first thing that's going to come up is a weed. Because what does that do? That provi- that provides more shade to the ground, A, and that provides more surface area to sequester carbon. And what does that carbon do? That carbon feeds that bacteria in the ground. So whenever we till or whenever we go out and we cut a hay field, what does three weeks later bring us? A whole bunch of weeds coming up from the ground. That was yeah. the number one thing that always caught my eyes. Why aren't we getting regrowth? You know, regrowth on our plants instead of the weeds. We're getting weeds. So once your soil, once your soil doesn't ever feel like it's in a disaster to where it needs a weed, needs a weed in order to start healing itself it won't produce as many of them. We'll still have a few, but once we get that good armor, dead residue layer on the ground, we're able to really kind of choke some of that stuff out and keep our soil cool to where it doesn't feel like it's hurting. That's good. See that there's a lot of guys around here that's tried no-till, but they haven't tried it all. There's one guy that's done really good with it, but there's some of them that just try no-till and they don't want to do the, they don't do the cover crops. So they just have wheat stubble, you know, and they, uh, and they don't even need a stripper header. They just have, you know, they cut their wheat and they just, you know, leave it like that and keep it sprayed. And they're having a lot of trouble with mares tails and pig weeds and resistant weeds. I don't think it works without doing cover. You know, that's the whole point. I believe that now that I've really read into it, I think you really need that cover. Right. Um, I mean, that's just where I'm, I see it in my opinion. But um, my problem is, you know, if I'm farming cotton, I'm, I think from now on, I'm definitely going to have always have a cover for it. Um, you know, you can go in the fall, you can plant your cover, or in the spring, you plant wheat in the fall, or you can wait till spring and plant you a good cover crop. And then once you lay that cover crop down with a roller or spray it, kill it, whatever, go in there and plant your cotton. 
then you have all that mulch and all that dead material in between your rows and it shades it and it, it i was looking at a deal today a guy sent me a picture and his soil temperature was uh out on his conventional ground cotton was 101 degrees and right about 100 degrees and his uh his cover crops uh soil temperature was right at 82 degrees so think about that i mean i don't I don't know how low you want your soil temperature for cotton it's because cotton, you know, likes heat, but that's saving a lot of moisture right there. So, right. And every crop needs moisture. Yeah. But my problem <laughs> is, was with, if I wanted to do this completely on everything is wheat. Um, we have a problem, you know, when we cut wheat in June 1st, it's already usually a dry time of year. And uh, by July 1st, I mean, you're pretty much done with rain around here usually. And it sucks, but if so, you got to turn around and you want to, and you want to no-till your cover crop in right behind that weed. Well, a lot of times that cover crop won't come up or it'll burn up as soon as it comes up. So that's hard to do, you know, and then you don't have no cover anyway in the fall when you go to sow your wheat. But I guess the only way to do it is just to gamble and try. Right. Well, not necessarily. You know, taking a little bit, I was very fortunate enough to a guy kind of, he, he's, not going to say held my hand along the way, but he's definitely mentored me. And I've been yeah. very fortunate to have him because he's, he's put me onto a lot of good ideas and he's definitely backed me up on a lot of the ideas that I had. And he said, try, you know, yeah. One of the biggest things though, you know, we talked about how we can make money in agriculture. How can we make money in agriculture? Diversification. What does rotational grazing do to my pasture land that I'm putting cover crops into you know essentially i'm putting different species of grass i call it a cover crop or my cropland that i'm putting cover crops into that i graze throughout the winter so i don't have to feed hey what is it doing whenever i rotational graze what it's doing is that it's giving my ground rest them cows see that fence they don't go back on to where they just were you know they trampled that ground it's not compacted like super hard at all but they trample that ground but they won't go back there for you know 40 days or 60 days right so my question to you my question to you would be you don't necessarily what if you have one what if you have a quarter let's just say a quarter that you can go in one year and you don't put a cash crop in it such as you know your corn or well up here it'd be corn wheat soybeans down there cotton or uh, milo or wheat whatever you guys like to plant that's about but you it, throw yeah. a cover crop in there you know at the right time of year whether it be your cool season or warm season and i would advise doing both probably just to give that ground a tick better rest and you graze your cattle on that and then that whenever they eat up on that they go to grass whenever they eat up on their grass and their grass is not completely ate off you know 50 percent gone at most thrown back on that warm season or on that cool season going into the winter okay that way that ground yes it's got a cover crop on it and it does not have a cash crop on it but it still is making you cash right still being utilized on your cattle sure you know that's that's one that's one way i started thinking you know just because we don't have a crop and the cash crop does not mean we cannot make money off Tell me how you're uh, getting the water to the cows in that situation. If it, if it's a place that ain't got water, are you hauling water, or are you just uh, always have have it nearby? Like, do you always fence off a place with water? So I always try to. I got quite a few ponds up here, which is really nice. Um, but in several places I don't. And yeah. waters. That's another thing. We I've like, got a lot of waters on a lot of my ground, but that's really expensive. Like I was thinking about what you just said, you know, and utilizing it like that, but. Like say I have a half section and there's it's I have a half section, and it has a pond on one end, it stays full all the time. But you know that's a big area. You know that right. across the field to get water. So, so what I, I would do in that instance is I would cut it into you know maybe a quarter. Yeah, I'd cut it into two quarters, and what I would do is I would wagon wheel around that pond. You know, set your poly wire up or whatever. I would wagon wheel around that pond. That way you're getting the trampling out in your pasture and they're not overdoing it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Wagon wheel around and have like seven or eight different fences. Right. And then on the other side, probably what I'd do is I'd put a stock tank 
or something. Yeah, you know? something to lure them to the other end. Right, and I'd put a stock tank or something down there, and you know whether it be down in a corner or you move it around a couple times, you know, however you want to do it, what fits you best. And what I'd do is I'd just carry water to it, you know, whether it be through a water wagon or whatever. Most of the time, them cattle, they aren't going to drink over a thousand gallons in two days. You know, I don't know how many cattle you cram on it, but if you have a half section, that would be able to hold quite a few cows, you know, up here. Oh, yeah. Our rule of thumb is a cow per three acres per year on just continuously grazed conventional ground. Yeah, Whereas more like a cow for 10 acres. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I I definitely feel fortunate for being up here, you know. Nothing yeah, you, bet. you guys you guys yeah, I got farm a, in a tough area. I um, got uh I'm about to have about 90 cows, but shit, I got about oh I'd say 1500 acres of grass. <laughs> so, <laughs> shoot. uh you know, I could use, uh, you know, if it was in y'all's country, I could run a lot more cows. But Right. Uh, and see, that's the thing is, is up here, you know, most people are three acres per cow per year, whereas I'm running just under two acres per cow per year. And then, of course, I'm, in, I'm actually bumping those numbers up. I've actually been able to bump my cow numbers a lot more through tighter grazing. And what I mean by tighter grazing is – grazing them for a lesser or a less period of time on a smaller smaller paddock there we go yeah you want to and cram cram tight and hammer it but only for a short period of time right uh, and you want to move them frequently and not you know that's the key is not not leaving them on in that little area too long right right cuz one if you leave them on too long it's what most farmers fear they're exactly right whenever they say it It'll come pack their ground. Right. Yes, it will. But if you don't leave them on too long and you leave them on the appropriate amount of time, actually, that cow hoof hits that ground. It splits. She puts her weight forward. It massages that dead residue into the ground, feeding your microbes, making it more handier to them. And then microbes go in. What do they do? They create organic matter, which is that black dirt. And really gets it broken up and fine, creating aggregates, which creates aggregation. And all of a sudden, you've got more organic matter, more water, holding capacity. And after that first rain, your soil will actually break up and be more aggregated. What would you say about the guys that around here, a lot of it's wheat pasture, and they throw out, you know, calves all winter. Um, Would you suggest more of a you know pulling them off and, and rotating them around to different fields instead of leaving them alone all winter you know they still got plenty of grazing but as far as compaction goes you think that's a was a bit would be a problem with just you know 800 pound calves thousand pound calves yeah compaction would be if you're just leaving them out there for continuous that's what you i know, figured that's a really good question though and i'm really glad you brought it up um because the first thing I caught on to was the, you know, just wheat pasture. We have a lot of that up here too, mm-hmm. that people graze. I mean, why else would you, you can make, or, you can make one crop, make you two different incomes. Why right. not? My question to that has always been, yes, that is exactly true or exactly right. But why only have a monoculture whenever we can have an ecosystem? Yeah. And yeah, I, don't, you know, I don't do it much. I mean, I'll, I'll let my own cows out there and graze, like we said, but I don't run nothing all winter. I, I haven't been, you know, all winter. But uh, I was just curious of what you thought about that. Yeah, say that's a, I mean, that's definitely a kind of a gray area to me because it's done up here a lot. I don't have any strictly wheat pastures, so I can't really answer that question effectively. But I would say that just knowing what I know about kind of basic soil health and all this other stuff, that if you leave them out there continuously for a long period of time, it's definitely going to hurt your, or definitely going to make your soil more compact. Another that's thing probably that, true even with your pastures too. Then, I yes, mean, see a lot is. of guys like even me, I'm I'm guilty of this myself. You know, I instead of running like here at my house, instead of running you know thirty head on this quarter or a little more, forty even, you know, for uh, three months at a time, I'm running uh, twenty head you know, year round. And, uh, 
a lot of guys do that because they're so much easier, but at the same time, it's probably way worse to do that. Right. And one thing, one thing I noticed, and it just goes back to, to plant biology. One thing I notice is every time a cow, what does she do? If you leave these cows spaced out, what do you have at your pastures at the end of the year or even in the middle of the summer? You have a bunch of patches of grass. Yep. Why is that? Because those cows go out the first day they're there. They go out, they start eating. The first two weeks, we'll even say. They'll find if what's good and not bad, huh? Right. They find what's good. They eat it. What happens? That grass comes back from the ground. Even though it might only be three inches, that's the most nutrient-dense grass out there. It's the most tender, and that's what that cow is going to go back and eat every time. So really, like up here in our part of the world, I have fescue. Fescue is a long-stem grass. Yeah, That's why cattle that are not acclimated to fescue or even from not from anywhere around here have a hard time coming here because – they have to eat so much long stem grass to make up for the nutrient density of a short stem grass that they don't know. It's like it's like going from a 30 degree day to a 110 degree day. It's right. polar opposite. They don't know. It takes a long time to adjust. It really does. Most of them, they're okay, but it takes them a while. That's the only bad thing about fescue. It's a super hardy grass, but it's a long stem that... It's not always nutrient dense. So, but them <laughs> cattle, they go out, they eat what's best first, then they keep going back to them spots, and they don't eat them them big, them big stage three and stage four grasses. You know, them grass spots. Whereas right. that's where we can. It, I've always looked at it as we can break them paddocks down, we can make them cattle eat them grasses, get rid of them patches. You know, nature is competitive. It's not combative. You know, cows are going to eat the best. And if they see a cow eating what they think is the best, have you ever seen a cow push another cow's head out of her way just to get a chomp of grass? Oh, yeah. You know, they eat what's best. So yep. make them eat it all, and all of a sudden your land is doing more work for you. Uh, and yeah, at the I'm... end of the day, your cow is your employee, and your land is your work for, workplace. I agree. And I've even considered, you know, you don't have, you know, all the resources to rotate your cows around cross, you know, like this at my house. I thought about just cross fencing it and running all them, all them cows on an 80 at a time. And then, you know, swap them back and forth, let that land recover a little, you know, but right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's probably kind of half-assing it, but it would probably help. But, well, yeah, it's kind of, you know, there's, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, if you're going to incorporate one, you got to incorporate all three of them to make it worth your time. Yeah. You know, the different principles of it, the cover crop and the, the moving them, you know, but there, it's all what fits your, your operation. You know, like I said earlier, I'm still in the transitioning stage. I used to be a, a conventional, you know, a, a 100% to the bone conventional farmer. You know, we put synthetic fertilizers on every bit of our ground. We herb, we use more herbicides and pesticides. We knew what to do with. And now it's like, huh, that costs a lot of money. You know, I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser. So I, I'm still in that transitioning stage, whereas part of my ground still in that conventional ways, and part yep. of my ground isn't. isn't. Tell so me, of uh... course. I don't want to get in too personal, but what is the cover crops and the stuff costing you per acre? So, you know, on, on your one, pastures, especially this last on your cool pastures. season, this last cool season I did on the crop side, um, which actually we had to take preventive planting. Woohoo. Because yeah. we couldn't get crops in the ground. I had some of that too. Um, but we had to take preventive planting. So, Actually, that mix there going into what was a wheat stand last year. It was a last year. It was you know it had wheat, it had fescue, uh, all sorts of different grasses and legumes. Uh, going into it this year, or I guess this winter from my cool season, cost me thirty eight forty one per acre just in seed. Man, that's a, that's pretty high. Actually, I, th- I didn't know it was gonna be that high. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a little bit high. But at the end of it, I look at it versus baling hay. You know, I've yeah. done the breakdown and the budgeting of baling hay, just what it's cost me this year 
on my expected yields and expected yields and actual yields really and my actual yields was scarier than my expected yields you know and it's cost me i look at that it's cost me 300 bucks per acre just to bale hay so really 38 bucks is pretty cheap yeah you were i know that you were uh, telling us that the other night in the group you know you had it all on pencil and uh, you added in your you know all your equipment expenses and your time and your you know fuel breakdowns your uh even your uh oh uh, oh i can't think of the word when your equipment devalues every year depreciation depreciation yeah so i can think about that but you have to add all that in you have to right because every time we take that piece of equipment across the ground we chance breaking it we we have to maintain it all the much sooner you know we just depleted in value and really one thing I think a lot of people fail to realize whenever they're budgeting and trying to figure out what it costs is if we're bailing hay, so to say, our expenses have to start whenever our tractor fires up to go get that first load of fertilizer. And our expenses don't stop until that tractor shuts off from spreading that last load of manure that's acquired, acquired in all these feeding places over the winter. You know, Everything like that, it's pretty crazy, but everything that we do for that eight month period ties in to bailing hay, you know. Yeah. You're, and that's why I say why not leave the biomass on top of the ground, graze it, continue or not continually, my bad. Rotational graze it and get maybe we can cut down our feeding period, you know, our hay feeding period from four months to two months or maybe even to one month or maybe even to three months but if you're cutting it down what can you do you can buy your hay instead of bail your hay a lot of farmers are going to say well you have the equipment why not bail it well if it in all reality if it's costing me 7406 a ton to bail or it's cost me 5561 per bale to bail which is actual numbers. My actual number per acre was two ninety six thirty eight. So it's not quite three hundred bucks, but it was right there. Yeah. And per pound is point oh four. You know, four cents per pound. If it's fifty five bucks a bale, but I can go and buy hay for twenty five. Yeah, thirty. Yeah, twenty five yeah. to thirty bucks per per bale. You know, even for a four by six, I'm still money ahead. And but every time you're leaving that stuff out there is an investment too, I believe. You know, every time you're leaving that matter out there, organic matter, right? It's kind and of that's an investment. You know, that's the, another thing I was just going to hit on is, you know, we've taken samples, we've sent them off, we've done all this stuff, and the best that we can conclude, and studies back it up, that in a four by six bale of hay, there's about forty to forty two dollars worth of nutrients. Okay. So we go and we spread that on, you know, unroll, use our handy dandy bale beds to unroll these things. And all of a sudden our cows are eating, they're stomping into the ground, they're cleaning most of it up. So we don't really even have to go out there and rake it all, you know, break it up even with the pitchfork. But what's that doing? If you're only spending 30 bucks, but you're buying a five by six bale, even so to say, that has more dollars worth of nutrients in it that you're putting into your ground that your ground didn't already have, you're gaining, let's just say, 15 bucks in nutrients. You know, you're money ahead because of what you're putting back into your ground. And Mm. that's the big thing is just trying to find them differences. And every time you buy hay off of somewhere else, you're bringing in something you didn't have. Right. So there's a plus to that. Yeah, There really is. You know, we always try to feed. Or something in there. You know, that's just really bad and really hard to get rid of, which most of the time there's not your money ahead to buy your hay because it puts more money back in your pocket by not bailing, you know, 500 bales too many. Because whether you need it or not, you had to pay to get it bailed. Well, every time you yourself or somebody else. Every time you bail hay, you're taking, you know, that roll of hay is, uh, say you got a 16 foot head on your swather. And you're, you know, you're taking a 16 foot swath of organic matter for say a hundred yards. Uh, it wouldn't be that far, but you know, it depends on how you're good at hay you're making. And, uh, 
you're rolling it up and then you go and roll it on a small area and it, it we always uh, try to feed on the when we build ponds you know a lot of times the top we, t- we call it the black dirt but it, we really don't have black dirt out here but we take the black dirt out and then we dig the pond and then we shape the berms and the and the uh the spoils up to where you you know they look good and then we put the black dirt back over the top well a lot of times you don't have enough black dirt you know and you got you got nothing but weeds or nothing but red dirt showing through here or there and you have it looks like junk you know we'll go feed under all them round bills every day on those spots and before you know it you know you have a, a beautiful stand of grass on your pond dam you know and uh yeah, think about that. You know, you're taking everything off. What are you taking away from that? You know, when you roll that bell up somewhere else, it's it's kind of crazy to think about that now that I've you've made me think about it, talking about talking about this. But right, can... say that's the you're removing all that carbon. You know, above ground that's carbon. You're removing all that. What is you know? I think about what does that do underground? You know, they say right. the roots. Roots are every bit as far under the ground as the plane is as far above the ground. Yeah. You know, it, them roots have to come back up to the soil to grab nutrients, and it takes them 30 to 35 days to, to start the regrowth. And mm. that's a lot of days that you could have been grazing yeah, and making yourself money, as well as even if you take the top third, you know, just the top third, you can stockpile that into the winter, getting you farther into that feeding period. Well, we have a we have a quarter of a grass that it's just blue stem, uh, plains blue stem grass, and we swap and bell it every year for hay, and it seems like every year it's getting worse and worse here lately, especially. And uh, you really uh, made me start thinking about that when you mentioned that the other day. You know what you're taking away from your soil when you from the from, yeah from your soil when you swap and bell every year. You know, and and uh, it's taken away from that from that organic matter every time you roll up a bell of hay. And, it kind of got me thinking, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, there's a there's a little thing I I've really started thinking about. You know, I'm putting last year in fertilizer nitrogen, basically, or I say nitrogen, you know, urea. It cost me thirty cents per pound. Well, what happened whenever I bailed it? You know, it it what it cost me to put it back on. Of course, it went up, so it cost me thirty-two cents per pound to put it back onto the ground. You know, every time I'm, I'm, you're cutting off all that live matter across or on top of the ground. Your plant spacing. Really look at it next time. You know, look at how close your plant spacing is at the ground. You know, this the grass doesn't come up one blade here, one blade here, one blade here, one blade here. As you well know, grass comes up in patches. Mm-hmm. And then plant spaces are really, if you leave that grass out there or legumes, which that's a big thing is getting legumes in there so you don't have to buy urea or put on liquid nitrogen, is if you leave them out there and not cut them off and not make them suffer, your plant spaces all of a sudden start getting closer. Because what do them roots do? Them roots go down underneath the soil, down to your hard pan, every bit of it to your hard pan. And underneath the ground, there is more of a natural seed bank than we could even know what to do with. Yeah, And it's seeds that the good Lord himself put here years ago, you know, years ago. And back whenever the buffalo were, tr- were trampling our ground, that's my, my always been my question to it is, you know, back then nobody had synthetic fertilizers. Nobody had to feed hay at the winter. You know, what did yep. they do? They, and that, they I'm so glad you snow. I'm so glad you brought that up. Keep going. Keep going. They, they they snuffled through the snow. They pushed it aside. They got down to grass. They're a little bit more of a hardy animal, of course, than a cow. But at the end of the day, they're still a large ruminant animal with a split hoof. Yep. And they were always constantly moving and trampling the ground to the freshest grass. And that's why they're constantly moving forward and then constantly moving back across. And that brings me back to that desertification video that I was talking about earlier. If you guys haven't seen it, y'all need to look it up uh, on TED Talk on YouTube, desertification, Alan Savory. Uh, he actually researched this, you know, why land was desertifi- desertifying and, you know, uh, turning into more and more deserts all over the place. And you can see it from space. I mean, if you zoom out on Google Earth, you can see all the places that are desertified right now. 
and it's getting bigger and larger and larger. All of Australia has been in a several-year drought now, I think. Um, it's awful for looking from space. But he went back in the – you know, he talked – I don't remember if he talked about the buffalo or not, but and he was in Africa. And they thought that it was overgrazing from the elephants that were causing this desertification to happen. And they killed over 40,000 elephants. Trying I know to fix, exactly what you're talking about. Trying Alan to fix Savory this. came up with holistic management. Yes, principles. holistic grazing is what he came up with. And holistic management, yeah. And, uh, and he killed over 40,000 elephants. And he, he will admit that he was wrong on this. And he, he feels awful to this day that he was in charge of killing all these elephants and uh, found out he was wrong. And uh, they brought in... They said they increased the lot. They brought in goats and cattle, but there would be nothing growing hardly. And then, in, in some instances, they'd have to feed the cattle in a small area and then move them around, like you said. And they brought in 400% increase in cattle where they could, you know. And, and by the time, the, and they constantly moved them, just like the buffalo used to, you know, graze here and move, graze here and move. And uh, pretty soon, shit started growing again, and uh, it fixed a lot of drought scenarios, and it, it's very interesting. Y'all need to definitely look that up and look at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you uh, glad you brought up the elephant reference, because I actually just read that holistic management book not too long ago, and holy yes. cow. I looked crazy. It on, I looked it up on Audible, and it's like a 19-hour book. <laughs> it's forever long. Well, I definitely would like to uh, look that up myself, because I am very interested in all that now. Right, but, so I'm glad you brought up the point of of you know droughts and that's one thing that i've really been looking into here lately is is what causes what causes fronts to move in what causes uh um all these areas and i guess if we need to if we don't need to put this in there it's fine but no go ahead i just lost you for a second what's that oh no you're good so one thing i've really been studying here lately is uh is kind of why these storms pop up you know why why do why does the Amazon always get rain? Right. Why is Midwest get why does the Midwest get so much more rain than you know North Dakota or Texas? Whenever really, you guys aren't that much farther west than we are. Yeah, I mean, look how close we are you know, together, and you get all the rain, and I don't. <laughs> right? I mean, hell, we so, ain't but six hours apart or five. <laughs> right. So, but think about this, and it. I'm not trying to blow your mind or anything like that, but what causes this? You know. Atmospheric fronts have to have carbon. They have to have carbon to really to go into. I'm not a meteorologist, I didn't know so I'm that. probably going to screw this up terribly. But they have to have carbon. They have to have places that subquester carbon. Otherwise, all that carbon goes back up into the atmosphere and moves. Huh. Think about that. You know, really think about this. I truly believe to this day that the Nile ran right by the Egyptian period pyramids and that that was a rainforest because you think about it think about you know back whenever the bible think about bible times egypt was one of the most mm-hmm. heaviest tilled lands yep and they talk about it they even talk lewis and clark say that arizona had more grass and more plant life than they'd seen in any other states and now it's a desert isn't that crazy you know, they think about this how it takes carbon to create storms so it takes carbon on the ground to create storms otherwise it goes back up in the air and it goes and finds you know like us here in the midwest it finds us because we have so much plant life around here right whether it be through the corn the soybeans the the plants, the trees, whatever it might be, but think about it. See, that's why I think both I, coasts. I think, you're, I think you're onto something, you know, because a lot of people say, "Well, you know, it's so green up there because it rains all the time." They may have it completely backwards, you know, backwards, <laughs> backwards. They may have it <laughs> completely backwards because uh, it, it rains there because it's green. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And see, that's another thing. You know, you think about what about California? What about out on the East Coast? You know, they're filled up with cities. There's not much plant life out there, and they're in a drought constantly. Uh And whenever I said, I truly do believe that Egypt was once part of a rainforest and that the Nile ran by 
right by the pyramids, and people might laugh at me for this, and that's okay. I have no problem being laughed at. No, I'll be laughing. You know, I'm my own person, but I truly believe that as as the desert started becoming a reality because of the tillage, that what does erosion do? Erosion breaks breaks away soil and it replaces it behind it. You know, soil that comes from down upstream on a curve ends up on the opposite side downstream. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That Nile most likely moved until it was to a place that it could sustain itself. And that's another thing. I do what I do because I don't want to just sustain myself. I do what I do because I want my family to be a regenerative regenerative agriculture family. It makes sense, man. I mean, I I can't disagree with you on the on anything you've said for sure. I know it's very uh just flat out heartbreaking what they're doing in the Amazon right now, you know. Oh man, yeah it is. Gosh, that's a whole other topic, but geez, I, <laughs> I hate it. I just hate t- turning on the news and and hearing what they're what they're doing, but um uh, one thing I do want to touch on before I let you go here, I know you're probably tired of talking, um, your hogs. Tell me a little about your hog operation. So my hog operation, it's a, you know, it's a confined feeding operation. We're running 2,700 pigs and what we're doing is we're getting them at weaning and we're taking them till about day 50. We'll just say roughly day 50 of life. You know, we're keeping them about 37 days stacking 40 to 42 pounds on them and then sending them north. Oh, so you don't have them very uh, long. I wonder, cause you were loading a truck the other morning about four in the morning. You sent me a snap and uh, I saw that uh, you were loading some up and they weren't very big, but I was curious why that you were getting rid of them. So small. So most of our pigs, here's kind of the, the economic side to it. Most of our pigs come in at, you know, 10, 12 days old. It's amazing they, that we can wean pigs this early in life anymore. But that's just the way that reality has come, you know. Yeah. We've got to keep up with demand, and demand is honestly pushing our in- industry to that point. Well, what I was going to ask you about, because touching on that subject with it being, you know, getting rid of them while they're kind of small, uh, in China right now, obviously with between the trade war and the ASF, um, they said that uh, they're having to, a lot of the, they've lost 50% of their sales to ASF. And um, they're having to market their pigs earlier because ASF is around. And they, right. when they start hearing reports of ASF getting close to them, they just sell their pigs at an earlier stage. And I didn't know if uh, that was bringing demand up so much that made you have to do it as well. Yeah, I mean, so we've been, we've been pig farmers for a few years now. I had the opportunity to put in a, put in a building, and I jumped on it. You know, I, sure. I told them. I told him, you know, if I can get the a contract, the the amount of time that I can get a barn note, and it's guaranteed money in my pocket, heck yes, I'll do it. So that ASF deal over there, it's an airborne sickness, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that it might get to the U.S. at some I, point. I've been afraid of that too, but damn At it. some point, though. But you got to think, over there, most of their operations, most of their pigs are still outside. Right. Now, they're bio here. They're all enclosed, and you have to shower before you go in and all that. Right. The biosecurity, biohazard is just so unbelievably real around here. It's not even funny, you know. We got to shower in. We got to shower out. Well, I guess for us, we don't shower in because we don't have a pig within 30 miles of us. Now, well, we got to shower in or shower out for sure, and and, you know, we can't take that anywhere. Uh, so, come back to your question as why I'm sending them out so early. So, we're getting these things at day 10 to 12, keeping them for 37-ish yep. days, stacking 40 to 42 pounds on them and kicking them out. We're sending them north because what is north known for? They're known for black dirt, which creates a lot of what? Corn. Oh yeah, it's yeah, a whole everywhere. heck of a lot it's, cheaper to feed feed a hog up there than it is to feed a hog down here. Right, yeah. There's a lot. plus plus up there they've got a kill plant just on just this side of Iowa, uh, in northern Missouri. So you know, up there it's a whole heck of a lot cheaper to feed them as opposed to or as well as you know the kill plant's not there very far far away. So of yep. course the freight's a lot cheaper. 
uh, because whenever you get more pounds, you can only haul, haul so many pigs, so you got to make more trips. So it's just a whole heck of a lot cheaper to do it, uh, you know, up in Iowa or Indiana as it is to do it down here. I got gotcha. you. I was curious, but uh, see, we got a couple of hog farms here around Hobart, and uh, I'm in Hobart, Oklahoma, and you're up in, where exactly are you? <laughs> so I'm here in liberal Missouri. You know, we got more cows in city limits than we got people, and I'm perfectly fine. With that. <laughs> um, so we got a couple of hog farms here. Uh, there's just one farmer, hog farmer here around Hobart, and he's got two or three big hog barns. You know, like you said. And I was wondering, you know, how all our all our pigs are inside now. Um, are they requiring y'all to do that? Like, is that a, a EPA type thing or not? I wouldn't say EPA, but like a regulation that you had to have them inside like that and shower in, shower out type deal, or is it just a precaution that y'all do? Well, I tell you what, that's actually a really good question. I'm glad you asked it because it's a uh, it's a question that's often perceived as the wrong, you know, the wrong way. Yeah. Um, but thank. Whenever you look at the real true side of this of hog farming, is a pig. It's a monogastric animal. Their immune system is not very <laughs> They're good. hard to keep healthy. Right. So, if you put them outside, they're not like a razorback pig. I mean, these are domestic pigs. Right. Uh, you know, if you put them outside, you're asking for trouble. Just stress can kill them, right? I mean. Oh, man. Stress can kill a pig in a matter of 35 seconds. Well, I didn't know with y'all, with those type of pigs, you know, like show pigs, you know, they stress out and just kill over on you. <laughs> right. And, you know, see, our... Our pigs, we got a couple different genetic lines running through ours, which is kind of really cool. One of them is a newer type, newer type line, which is more maternal bred. Um, so it's really cool to see how both of them actually, uh, both of them actually work. You know, we have the maternal purebred type pig as opposed to the composite commercial pig. Now, like I told you guys before, we we run all white pigs. Yeah. Why do we run all white pigs? We run all white pigs because the genetics of this deal has gotten so far advanced we've been able to breed in been able to breed in uh tenderness we've been able to breed in quality plus at the end of the day what is a terminal pig known for a terminal pig is known for the terminal breeds are known for giving you lots of pounds or known for putting pounds on pigs whereas what's the maternal breed known for breeds known for they're known for giving you lots more pigs because they have that much more carrying capacity Within their, you know, within their, uh, their reproductive tract and their belly, everything, they're just more compact, more come spacious, more spacious. And they give you more offspring. Right. They give you more offspring. So can you let go of a couple pounds for more pigs? I truly believe so. Um, but this thing's just become so far advanced on um, everything that is getting put into it that they're all pretty much on the same scale anymore gotcha i don't know anything about it and i was really interested in it and we'll talk more about that later i'll, I'll let you get off here but man this has been a really good podcast and i really, really appreciate you coming on here with me and, and talking about all this stuff you it's been a really good one hey man i'm definitely always up for uh talking and educating and definitely learning i love to learn you bet it's one thing we're never done with and whatnot i just hope that you know i do the i do the registered cow operation you know i got registered angus and some and some angus cattle having production sales multiple times a year and i'm always looking to looking to kind of my mentors the ones that started kind of walk me through it sure definitely looking towards them for uh for which way do we turn i've got my own ideas but at the same time i know somebody's always done something before and i always want insight <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah, there's definitely well, different different ways of looking at things, and I'm I'm definitely glad that to be able to hop on here and and have a good conversation. I feel like it's been a really good, informative one. Educating the educating part of it's been great, and and just talking, you know. Yeah, this whole something just about, having conversation that's what makes the world go around. This man. this whole something about farming group has been great. You know, all the group of guys that we got in it. Um, well, in this podcast is I think everybody's going to really enjoy it and and kind of feel like they're in on the group as well just by listening to us every day and, and uh or every week wherever whenever this wherever this takes us but we'll never run out of things to talk about that's for sure 
Oh yeah, between between you, Tex, Bull, Colonel, all them people. Oh yeah, we got plenty of conversation that's to be had. Oh yeah, you know the nice, the cool thing about this is it builds friendships, it builds connections. You know, through hauling as many years as I did having that trucking company, I say as many years as I did. I mean, I'm 25. I can't say too much. I guess I'm not that old. Damn, you're younger than me. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm only 25. But uh, I used to be able to, you know, run around from state to state, and if I ever got in a pinch, I knew who to call. But that's one thing that's never that's never been short in my life, and I'm definitely now glad to have you all to to be in contact with if we're ever down that way. Or you bet. Whatever. And I'm definitely, uh, you know, wanna... like I said, we uh, or not like I said, but we all tried to get together that one weekend, and unfortunately. With whenever tragedy stuck struck, I couldn't get away, and that's okay. I'm really looking forward to getting down there and and seeing you guys and meeting everybody in person because that's kind of the crazy thing is, I know some of us met each other in person, but I I know I haven't met any of you all. Yeah, and well, so we I'm will. pretty excited about that. We damn sure will, and I'm I want to come up there sometime and check out your operation as well. It's, it ain't too far from me, and and one of these days I'm definitely gonna do that, dude. Just give me a holler. I'm always around. Well, most of the time I'm around. But just give me a holler. You know, you're more than welcome. We got a pretty open door policy. Just give us a shout. All right. Thank you, Power Plant. We'll see you next time. Hey, I appreciate it, Boots. Hop on up here. Have a good night. Take her easy and definitely tell the family hi. All right. See you, everybody. Give this thing rated five stars for us. We appreciate it. Yes, definitely. See you. See you, man.